This podcast was first broadcast on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. Go to radioverulam.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts and, if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around St Albans and from further afield. Now, back in August, Rothamsted Research in Harpenden was granted permission by DEFRA to run a series of field trials of wheat that's been genome edited. And very soon, that wheat will be planted. The experiments will be the first field trials of CRISPR-edited wheat anywhere in the UK or Europe. CRISPR-Cas9 is a gene-editing technology that's been described as genetic scissors. I spoke to project leader Professor Nigel Halford, a crop scientist at Rothamsted Research, and I started by asking him to explain the difference between gene editing and genetic modification. Well, in simple terms, genetic modification... Well, what people understand by it is introducing a, a new and novel gene uh, into an organism, in this case, a plant. And that gene might be a foreign gene, it might come from a different species, or it may be made in the lab. But the plant will have additional genes within its background of maybe 50,000 genes that are in wheat. Uh, with gene editing, we do a genetic modification. We introduce components of what, in this case, CRISPR technology, That results in an edit, a mutation at a target gene. And then we can cross, just using standard traditional crossing, uh, selfing and crossing, we can get rid of all the GM bits. So at the end of the process, we have a plant with mutation in a specific target gene, uh, but no additional DNA. And that's really the, the main difference. Okay. I mean, there's always been a a worry about unintended consequences of genetic modification. Can genetic editing have unintended consequences too? Oh, I'm sure any any, um, method in plant breeding could have unintended consequences. And gene editing is probably um, no different. But gene editing is incredibly finely targeted. And just as a comparison a technique that's been used in plant breeding since the middle of the last century is mutagenesis using chemical or uh, radiation treatment. So you just take 10,000 seeds, treat them with a chemical or with radiation, grow them up and look for something interesting. We're still doing that kind of work here as well as the, the newer gene editing. That results in tens of thousands of random mutations around the genome. We can use modern genomics to locate or identify individuals with the mutations in our in, in our target genes. But plants that have been produced that way will have a great background of mutations. We know nothing about them. So, again, I think what we can do is with gene editing is compare what we're doing using that technology with what's been accepted as safe in the past. And it is much more targeted than previous mutagenesis technologies. So how have you changed the new wheat that you're working on? Okay, so wheat, like all plants, it has a, an amino acid in it called asparagine. That's just a common garden amino acid, no risk associated with it uh, in itself. But when the wheat is cooked, i.e. it's baked, 
made into bread and then toasted or it's used to make a breakfast cereal, that asparagine can be converted to a toxic contaminant called acrylamide. And acrylamide is carcinogenic, causes cancer in, in uh, rodents, no one disputes that, is regarded as probably carcinogenic uh, in humans. It has other effects on development and fertility. It's definitely a highly undesirable chemical to have in your food. So we're trying to reduce the levels of that. And we're doing it by reducing the levels of asparagine in the grain, in wheat grain. So we have five genes involved in making asparagine. And with a particular one, is called ASN2, is most active in the grain. And what we've done using CRISPR is to knock that gene out. So that gene no longer makes a functional protein. Uh, and as a result, there are much lower levels of asparagine. That's free asparagine, not, not asparagine in protein, but asparagine that's just soluble uh, in the cell, much lower concentrations of that. And that would uh, enable food producers to make products with lower levels of acrylamide in. So that's quite a big deal now for the uh, food industry because complying with regulations on acrylamide is increasingly difficult for them and the regulations are getting uh, tougher and tougher. Okay, and, and, and that's because acrylamide, as you say, is actually quite harmful for us. Now, the campaign group GM Freezers said that it's hard to understand the thinking that leads GM developers to decide that mutilating the DNA of a staple crop food is a more effective response to the disputed dangers of burnt toast than teaching people to, have to use a toaster properly. What, what would you say to that? Well, it's misleading, firstly, because it's implying that acrylamide only occurs in uh, burnt toast. It doesn't. It's in bread. You you get more acrylamide forming as you toast it, but the toast doesn't have to be burnt. And I'm sure they know that. So, you know, uh, that's misleading. And then using words like mutilate and having every technique you use in plant breeding, if you're doing crossing, if you're doing old-fashioned mutagenesis or CRISPR and GM, you're making changes to the genes. And mutation occurs all the time. It occurs naturally. And, you know, that's one of the one of the reasons why you know regulators around the world are saying, well, you know, we, we can't really regulate gene editing. There's no justification for it because the kinds of mutations they introduce are exactly the same as as occur naturally. It's just that they're targeted. I mean, the power of the technique is in the targeting. So we're not mutilating. We're making directed targeted changes uh, to the day uh, day, in this case with a target of of improved food safety so i would turn it back on them and say really you know you're going to say we should carry on with uh, acrylamide levels where they are when we know we could reduce them for me their argument has uh, no no merit whatsoever Okay, so let's turn to the trials themselves. You've been given permission for field trials. Has the wheat already been trialled inside? Uh, yes, yeah, so it's been under glass for four generations now. So, so we've been measuring the asparagine levels in the grain. Uh, also, we've begun the process of crossing away the genetic, uh, the GM parts of it, the components, because the editing is now done, so we don't need those components anymore. And the next thing to do is to see how it performs in the field, because until we've done a field trial, we really don't know. We need to know that the very low asparagine that we see under glass is repeated in the field, and also what kind of yields we get, what kind of of protein content in the grain, 
all the other things that's important in, in the agronomy of wheat, we need to test them in the field. And, and have you actually planted the wheat? Uh, we expect to do so in the next couple of weeks. So you'll be planting your um, gene-edited wheat next to wheat that's been modified in what might now be called the old-fashioned uh, genetic modification way. Why is this? Not an old-fashioned uh, mod- GM. Uh, we've got some lines with the old-fashioned mutagenesis, so lines that are produced um, in which, again, the ASN2 gene has been disrupted by chemical mutagenesis. That's the old technique, which has been around uh, donkey's years. And the reasons for that is we want to compare them. So we've got the, what we call them tilling lines, in which they have the old-fashioned mutations, and we have the CRISPR lines. Of course, the CRISPR lines only have the mutation in the target gene, whereas the tilling lines, as we call them, have, will have a, a background of random mutations as well. So, I mean, the other thing, of course, is that at the moment, or until very recently, the regulatory system is going to be applied to uh, gene-edited crops was unclear. And in fact, we had the EU system which rolled over into UK law after Brexit, in which basically we had to treat gene-edited plants as if they were GM, whether or not they still had the transgenes in, and also an edited gene as if it were a transgene that had been introduced, introduced by GM. Only very recently, last week, we got the um, announcement from the UK government that they were going to change regulations on gene editing. So it certainly made sense prior to that to bring on these old-fashioned lines because no regulations apply to those, apart from the usual things. You know, any new crop comes uh, coming to the market, but the GM regulations certainly did not apply and do not apply to the old-fashioned mutants. Okay, so you'll be continuing the field trials over the next five years. What will you be looking for? Well, we have consent for five years. We have funding for until the end of next year at the moment. So we'll be looking for more funding to keep it on. But yes, we've got consent for five years. We'll be looking for very low asparagine in the grain, but also how the wheat performs agronomically because if it doesn't perform well agronomically you know breeders won't be able to use it anyway so we will learn a lot about how you know asparagine metabolism how it affects the agronomy of the wheat uh, and other things like you know the protein quality again that's very important the total protein content you have to have a minimum for example to get um, wheat to be used for uh, by bread makers a bit less for biscuits but also the the quality of the protein what types of protein a bit made and again you have to do that over a number of years to convince people that, that this can perform adequately uh, in the field you mentioned funding there who's funding these trials at the moment, this is a BBSRC, so it's government research. They're funding it through their follow-on fund. We also we have support from five breeding companies and the Agriculture and Horticulture Development Board, but they're not putting money into this at the moment. It's all BBSRC money. Will you also be looking over this trial period at any potential safety issues? Well, of course, there's a lot of oversight internally and externally on the trial. In terms of safety, in terms of consumption, that will come on later on. So we're wondering at the moment, we don't know if these will be suitable to be brought into a breeding program. If they were, then there would be safety tests on uh, uh, on them. We will be looking at the composition. So, of course, anything 
untoward is found in the composition, then that would mean we we discontinue it because we would no point carrying on. But if it, again at this point we're just talking about a small field trial and looking at the agronomy and the low asparagine trait, and then if all pans out and it works well and it's going well, then you would do more safety uh, tests on on the grain. Okay. Now, currently the sale of GM food is not permitted in the UK, but public opinion has also been against it. Do you think that this wheat might be treated differently? Well, it's gene edited, not GM. um, I think there is a a different attitude to gene editing uh, than there is to GM. You know, I haven't seen enough data really on that. It's something I've been involved in for... um, you know, 25 years, the GM debate and the gene editing and, and more recently the gene editing debate. I think things have changed. It's certainly changed at the political level and I think it's changed with with the public. And, you know, we have to we have to change. The recent announcement from the government looks at gene editing, but we will have to look at GM as well. We can't go on forever pretending that the GM revolution in plant breeding didn't happen. Uh, more than 10% of global agriculture is now GM crops. And the commodity markets are, are higher percentages of that. You know, 70, 80% of the soy being grown globally is GM. And the UK and Europe is heavily dependent on imported soybean, mainly GM soybean, by the way, for uh, its animal feed market. Europe imports millions of tons of GM crop product. And that, of course, means that our farmers... Uh, compete with those products but can't grow them so that's been going you know for 25 years now of experience around the world of using gm you know surely we can now start making rational decisions uh, on uh, possibly using it in the uk in the meantime uh, gene editing is moving forward and i didn't see a big backlash because you know you can't you can't just make assumptions about what people are going to think about it. But I didn't see a big backlash to the government's announcement um, that they were going to um, move on the regulations applied to gene editing. So that was, I think, very encouraging. Professor Nigel Halford, thank you very much indeed for that. I was talking there to Rothamsted Research Crop Scientist Professor Nigel Halford. And as Professor Halford says, in a break with the European Union's stance, the United Kingdom plans to ease requirements for field research on gene-edited crops. Rather than being treated like genetically modified new crops, gene-edited plants will be tested and assessed in the same way as conventional new varieties. And if you're interested to learn more, then do take a look at the Rothamsted Research website, where they've got more information, including a really useful Q&A page. So what do you think about this new trial? Do send me your thoughts on Twitter at RV underscore environment or via the Environment Matters Facebook page or drop me a line on amanda at radioverulam.com. And we've just time for a plea from London Colney Hedgehog Rescue Volunteer, Jill. She asks, if we think we might have hedgehogs in our garden, please put out food and water for them. It's a crucial time of year for them as they build up their fat reserves that they need to lay down before hibernating. She says that they have been seeing a lot of underweight babies at the moment that aren't currently big enough to make it through the winter. Now, Jill says that wet or dry cat foods are what you need. She says Sainsbury's adult cat poultry selection in gravy is particularly good or use any cat biscuits where meat protein is the first 
named ingredient. If you can put the food underneath a box with an entrance that the foxes can't access, so much the better as the rescue sees a lot of hedgehogs that have been injured by foxes. And whilst we're talking about hibernating hedgehogs, you'll have noticed that some trees are starting to lose their leaves, perhaps in your garden. Well, by all means, clear them off your lawn and paving, but please don't put them into your green bin. Instead, bag them up to make leaf mould, or better still, pile them up in an out-of-the-way corner, perhaps behind a bush or at the back of the border, so that creatures like hedgehogs have somewhere to hide and hibernate. Not just that, but leaf piles provide a place for all sorts of invertebrates to live, some of which the hedgehogs will love as food. And if you can leave perennial plants standing in your garden rather than cutting them back now, they will also provide essential habitat over the winter, as well as protecting your soil from erosion and perhaps looking pretty should we get any frost. And if you're out in the garden at the moment, then it could be a great time to at last get round to starting that compost heap. It really can be as simple as a pile of snipped up garden waste in the corner covered in a piece of old carpet or perhaps add a couple of old pallets for a bit more structure. The compost heap itself is a great habitat and the compost that you produce will help turn your soil into a carbon sink, boost your soil microbiome and encourage earthworms another favourite of hedgehogs. And if you live in the Fleetville area, then do join Jill's Ladder Road St Albans Hedgehog Group on Facebook for more hog help and to stay abreast of local prickly issues. I'm going to be back at the same time next week, but until then, thanks for listening.